Hey friend, are you searching for a podcast that partners faith and entrepreneurship? A toolkit of tactical how-tos to start or grow your online business God's way? Hop over and check out The Stephanie Gass Show, a top 0.5% podcast for women who are ready to create impact and income without sacrificing family or their faith. Listen in to over 500 episodes on biblical business training, clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie Gass Show. I pray it blesses you. In today's conversation, we've got Dr. Daniel Amen, best-selling author and world-renowned psychiatrist. He wrote one of the most powerful books I have ever read. It was called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, and I'm so excited to bring you Dr. Daniel Amen today. The smart person is going to go, I think I'm going to get off this track and get really serious about their health. Dr. Amen's story is powerful and moving. He is a passionate, brilliant man, and I can't wait to introduce you to him. So let's go. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery. To get it done, you can get the show notes and more at drleewarren.podbean.com. That's drleewarren.podbean.com, and if you'd like the show Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. You know, Dr. Daniel Amen believes that brain health is central to all health and success. When your brain works right, he says, you work right. When your brain's functioning properly, you're functioning properly. But when your brain's got trouble, you are much more likely to have trouble in your life. His work's been dedicated to helping people have better brains and better lives. Now, this is really kind of a groundbreaking idea if you think about it. If you go to the ER and you've got chest pain, they don't just do a chest x-ray and tell you there's nothing wrong. The cardiologists have figured out that you need to have some type of functional imaging of your heart. They do stress tests and nuclear medicine studies and angiograms, and they watch how the heart is actually functioning and not just what it looks like on a still picture. But believe it or not, even still here in 2014, most mental health professionals, and many times neurosurgeons and neurologists and other types of neuroscientists, If you've got something going on that's affecting you mentally, you'll get an MRI or a CT scan. Those are basically just still pictures of your brain. They can show us things like brain tumors and serious traumatic injuries and hemorrhages and swelling and things like that. But they don't show us what's actually happening on a functional level inside the brain. So in other words, an MRI or a CT scan to a person who's exhibiting signs of dementia or anxiety or depression or attention deficit disorder, those are basically like doing a chest x-ray for somebody with chest pain. They give you a little information, but they don't really tell you how the brain is functioning. Now, Dr. Daniel Amen came along in psychiatry and sort of changed all that. And we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to let him tell you his story because it's amazing. And he's really changed a lot of lives. Just as a way of introducing you, though, I'll read you some biographical information about Dr. Amen. And if you feel bad about yourself after this, don't worry because I do too. He is way more accomplished than most people have time to do in their lifetime. Um, And he's just an amazing guy. Dr. Amen is a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, television producer, nine times New York bestselling author, New York Times bestselling author. 
He's the founder and medical director of the Amen Clinics, which has locations in six or seven places across the country. I'll put a link to the Amen Clinics in the show notes. They've got the world's largest database of functional brain imaging and how those scans relate to behavior. Almost 90,000 patients has been through his, have been through his clinics uh, in over 111 countries. He is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, which is the highest award you can give to uh, that that organization gives to its members. He's the lead researcher on the world's largest brain imaging and rehabilitation study for professional football players. And his research has not only demonstrated high levels of brain damage in football players, but he also showed the possibility of significant recovery for many of those people using the principles that he's discovered and uh, figured out through the course of his practice. Together with Dr. Uh, oh, sorry, together with Pastor Rick Warren and Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Amen is also one of the chief architects of Saddleback Church's Daniel Plan, which is a 52-week program to get the world healthy through its religious organizations. That book has kind of taken over the idea of the the nutrition and fitness um, space right now, and it's really being very successful. So, Dr. Amen not only is helping us get our brains together, but also our bodies together. He's written, produced, and hosted nine popular shows about the brain, which have raised more than $52 million for public television. He's the author or co-author of over 60 professional articles, seven book chapters, and over 30 books, including the number one New York Times bestsellers, Daniel Plan and Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, and a bunch of others. He's published scientific articles in every journal you've ever heard of or not even heard of in the psychiatric space. He's appeared in movies even, um, and he's just a he's sort of all over the place uh, on the internet because he's really out there living this idea that if you change your brain, you can change your life, and he has taken it to the streets and really helping people. He's spoken for the National Security Agency. He's been on the Dr. Oz show. Um, this guy's been everywhere, and today he is with us right here on You Start Today. Dr. Amen is married to Tana. He's the father of four children. He's the grandfather of five people, um, Julian, Elias, Angelina, Emmy, and Liam. And he is also, by the way, an accomplished table tennis player. The Washington Post says that by almost any measure, Dr. Daniel Amen is the most popular psychiatrist in America. And my friends, today... We have Dr. Daniel Amen helping us to accomplish real life change starting today right here on the podcast. So without further ado, let's talk with Dr. Daniel Amen. Okay, well, uh, welcome back. Uh, you start today, folks. I'm so excited uh, to have really one of my neuroscience heroes with me here today, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, Lee, thank you so much. It is an honor to meet you. It's, it's an honor to meet you, sir. And, uh, you know, my people that, that listen to my stuff and read my stuff have been hearing about you for a long time, and most of them probably already had heard about you. But it, it is, um, it's kind of amazing to me how God works things out to where sometimes you meet people you never thought you would meet, and, I, and you're one of those people for me. Uh, uh, I, I'm just really uh, I've followed your work for a long time, and so I'm excited to have you tell us your story today uh, in the flesh. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, why don't, I've already kind of introduced you to the folks, but why don't you tell us sort of your background and your history, how you, how you came to be Daniel Amen, if you will. Well, I'm uh, in the middle of seven children. I have an older brother, an older sister, four younger sisters. It's very important in my development because I understand the female brain. Um, and growing up, my dad called me a map. And to him, that was not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> and it actually becomes a very important part of my story. And then when I was 18, Vietnam was going on, and uh, the government had a draft, and uh, I signed up for the draft and had a number of 19, which meant by uh, that they were going to draft me. And so I joined and became an infantry medic uh, and uh, didn't go to Vietnam. I went to Germany. And it was a spectacular experience for me, except very quickly I learned I didn't like sleeping in the mud <laughs> or the idea of being shot at. Right. And so I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician. Okay. And that was very important for me because our professors used to always say, how do you know unless you look? That's right. And then fast forward to... 
since 1979. I'd uh, just gotten married, and a couple of months later, my wife tried to kill herself. And I'm horrified. And bring her to the chief of the Department of Psychiatry at Oral Roberts University. So I was in the charter class at ORU. Uh, It's one of the very few... Uh, medical schools in the world that's really a Christian-based medical school. And I desperately wanted to go there. And I was really blessed I was able to. But after I got married um, and my wife tried to hurt herself, uh, as I took her to the Department of Psychiatry, to the chief there, I just fell in love with him. He just was so kind and so helpful and so thoughtful um, I went to medical school wanting to be a pediatrician because I just loved kids. Right, and right. as soon as I did pediatrics, I didn't like it at all because you had to hold them down and the kids hated you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I like totally wanted to be a psychiatrist after that experience because I realized that if he helped her, which he did, it would not only help her, it would help me. Right. And it would help our children and eventually even our grandchildren because I realized that they would be influenced by someone who was happier and more stable. So I really fell in love with the idea of psychiatry because I realized it had the potential to change generations of people. Hi, I'm Tommy Walker, and I've been a worship leader and songwriter for over 30 years. By God's amazing grace, he's allowed me to write some worship songs that have been sung in churches all over the world. In 2015, I started my own nonprofit called Tommy Walker Ministry so I could start giving away all my songs and music and worship resources. Since then, we've had people from over 80 nations download our charts and performance tracks, and we've given away over 100,000 of them now, and we're so blessed and honored to do it. We have a passion to declare the gospel through worship in a powerful way, so we're so careful to fill up our songs and our videos with God's Word. And if you're interested in becoming a partner with us, just visit TommyWalkerMinistries.org and become a one-time or monthly partner. We'd be so grateful. And let me just say God's richest blessings on you all. If you aren't already, become a passionate worshiper of the Most High God. Amen. Wow. And so I'm really passionate about uh, what I do. And then I actually went back in the military uh, because now I have prior service. So I have a wife and a child. And I trained at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. I did my internship there, my uh, psychiatry uh, residency there. And then I went to Tripler in Hawaii and did my child psychiatry fellowship. Uh, And you know, I became a double board certified psychiatrist. Love every minute of my profession. And then in 1991, I went to a lecture on brain SPECT imaging. So SPECT is this nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. So it's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies. They show what the brain actually physically looks like. Typically not at all helpful for psychiatric illnesses, but SPECT was uh, presented to us as a tool that could help psychiatrists better target their treatment. And the first dozen cases or so that I ordered SPECT scans, it radically changed both the direction of the treatment and the outcome. So, for example, one of my patients, her name was Matilda. She was 69 years old, and she'd just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And her family wanted to put her in a home because she just about burned down her house because she left something on the stove. And before they put her in a home, one of the daughters, who was a nurse, who said, I'm bringing her to the hospital, and we're going to have one more really good workup. And by random chance, if you believe in random chance, she was assigned to me. And I'm like, I just went to this great lecture. There's already a literature on SPECT and Alzheimer's disease. This is 1991. And the pattern is bilateral, parietal, temporal lobe hypoperfusion or low 
blood flow in the temporal and parietal regions. I mean, basically what's happening is the back half of your brain is deteriorating. Right. But in Matilda's case, she didn't have that at all. In fact, what she had was her limbic brain was working way too hard. And there was some evidence for, through research that that was associated with depression. So in my mind, I'm like, she doesn't have Alzheimer's disease. She has this thing we call pseudo-dementia, or it's not really dementia, it's depression. But it looks like dementia. Right. And I put her on Wellbutrin, which is a really good antidepressant, and no lie. Three weeks later, she gets her memory back. She brightens, she's more... Her affect is better. She's talking. And when I discharged her a month after her admission, she's running the nutrition classes on the ward. She's wow. like teaching people wow. how to cook. She's, I mean, it's sort of like the movie The Awakening. Uh, and I, and quite frankly, I've been a psychiatrist almost 10 years. I've never had an ex a transformative experience like that and i began to think well how the heck do i know what's going on in someone's brain unless i actually look and then i had another little boy christopher who attacked uh, another child at school um put a pencil in his neck wow. and wow. now he's in the hospital and he's just a nasty boy um and Chris had been diagnosed with ADD when he was six, but Ritalin made him hallucinate. He was then diagnosed with depression when he's nine, but the antidepressants didn't work. And now this is his third psychiatric hospitalization for aggression. And my first thought is, well, I should look at his brain. How do I know what's going on in his brain? And what his spec scan showed was severely low blood flow to his left temporal lobe. And um, I'm a psychiatrist. I had no idea what that meant. So I went to the library. Back then, you actually had to go to the library. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked the hospital librarian, find me all the spec studies that show asymmetrically low temporal lobe function. And all the studies, and there were dozens of them, were associated with seizure phenomena. So I went, I wonder if these aggressive outbursts are seizure uh, equivalence. And I know neurologists generally don't like the idea of behavioral seizure disorders, mm -hmm. but as a psychiatrist, I totally buy into that. And we've sure. been using anticonvulsants for psychiatric medicine for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, actually, the, the guy that founded the Dreyfus Fund wrote a book in the 70s called A Wonderful Medicine Has Been Overlooked. And he was talking about Dilantin. Wow. And shown to be helpful for anxiety, for depression, for aggression. Uh, and with that finding, I put Chris on Tegretol, a really excellent anticonvulsant. Mm -hmm. And no lie, within two weeks, he's the sweetest kid on the ward. And, and now I'm beginning to think that we're labeling people as bad. Because it's easy to label Chris is a bad boy when in fact they may be sick. Yeah. Yeah. And he got so much better. And I had like 12 of these experiences and I just got hooked. I got hooked on imaging. Now, you know, where I trained at ORU, they always taught us to do evaluations in biopsychosocial, spiritual ways. So whenever we talk to people, we get biological information psychological information, which is, you know, how they think in their development. Social information is who they hang out with. And spiritual information, which is why do you care? Why are you here? And I don't know if you know, I did, this will resonate with you. People who have a sense of meaning and purpose live 15% longer than people who don't. Um, but, you know, as a psychiatrist, we, we had no biological information on patients. We were still making diagnoses as they did in 1840 when Lincoln was depressed. Wow. You know, Lincoln is one of my heroes because he failed, 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 and then became a wild success. Right. Um, most people don't know he went through several periods of major depression and was, in fact, suicidal several times in his life. And one of those times was the winter of 1840. And in fact, he was so awful that his friends had to take his knives from him. 
And he went to his doctor, Anson Henry. And how did Dr. Henry diagnose him with depression? He looked at him, he talked to him, and he looked for symptom clusters. And then he treated him, which is exactly what happens in 2014. If you go see a psychiatrist today, he's going to look at you, talk to you, look for symptom clusters, put it in a DSM-5 category. And then he's going to start to treat you without any biological information. And back in 1991, see, I'd already been a psychiatrist. I'd already made people worse. I mean, I was doing exactly what I told. So I have an ADD kid in front of me. He's got all 18 criteria for ADHD. I put him on a stimulant and now he wants to kill somebody or he's hallucinating or he's suicidal. And I'm like, and sometimes I put that same symptom cluster on a stimulant. Now they go from F stays. And so like, how the heck do I know what's going on in their brain unless I actually look? What I had no clue at that time, I was just excited about it. And I thought, if I back up to 1982 when I graduated from medical school, I had two goals. One was to be a great psychiatrist that provided really good care to my patients. The second goal was to be a writer because I loved writing. And I wanted to write about what other people did. So their research, what I wanted to do was translate it for the general public. Perfect. And I thought that was my calling. That's what I love to do. And I thought that was the perfect career path for me. So by the time 1991 comes around and I start looking at people's brains, I had already written two books and I was writing a local a column in the local newspaper where I live. So I had developed the skill of taking complex information, making it simple, and then disseminating it. So now I have all this imaging. I'm so excited. I think all psychiatrists are going to be doing this in the next five years. And I start writing about what we're doing. And I got no end of grief from my colleagues. Psychiatrists don't do it. It's not ready. Um, You're a charlatan. You're a snake oil salesman. You're um, radiating people for no good reason. You're charging. I mean, basically, it was you're taking advantage of sick people. And, And I was horrified because if you knew me personally, you would know I'm actually fairly shy and a little bit anxious, and I like people to like me, right. which is a huge flaw. <laughs> you know? One I, that I most of us have, right? <laughs> I have, I've begun to shed that flaw. Um, and, and I actually went to national meetings, and I would talk about what we were doing. In 1992, I met a group at Creighton University. They were doing the same thing. But um, researchers from places like Harvard and uh, NIMH, they're like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's not ready. And I'm like, but it's helpful. Why shouldn't I do it? And this is where the maverick in me comes out. It's like, but it is helpful. Let me teach you how. Come visit. Of course, they never did because it's easy to criticize without appropriate information. That's right. And in 1993, it was a firestorm. Uh, at the American Psychiatric Association. And so from 1993 to 1995, I stopped talking about our work. We kept doing it. But I was panic-stricken because, you know, I had people threatening to call the medical board on me. And, and all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a storm that I don't want to be in. I want to be a good doctor. I want to write. I wasn't making five cents on the imaging. But yet, I felt like I had to do it. And then, you know, I think anybody who does anything great has a passion story. That there's a story somewhere that turns everything around. And for me, it was April 1995 when I got a call at 10 o'clock one night from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me that my nine-year-old nephew 
had attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day. And I'm like, what? And Andrew was very special to me because he's my godson. And I'm like, Sherry, what else is going on with him? And she said, Danny, he's different. He's mean. He's not smiling anymore. Mm. And I was in his room today after the incident and I found two pictures that he drew. One of them, he was hanging from a tree. The other picture, he was shooting other children. Mm. So Andrew was really Columbine. Aurora, Sandy Hook waiting to happen. Now, thank God, um, I'd been, ever since I started doing imaging, people were sending me their worst cases. And so before 1991, I really didn't want to see a violent teenager because it just took me so long to find the right treatments to get them not violent. Right. But since imaging... Like with Christopher's case, he's one of the first cases. I'm like, well, I got a scan. And what we found is violence isn't one thing in the brain. You know, it's like depression's not one thing, ADD is not one thing. You can have temporal lobe violence, like Chris had, or you can have impulsive violence, low frontal lobe activity, or you can have compulsive violence, high frontal lobe activity. Right. So it's like, well, how do I know what's going on unless I look? And so I said, please bring Andrew to see me. And so they brought, put him in the car and drove him eight hours uh, to our clinic. Then I was in Northern California. And I looked at An- Andrew and I said, sweetheart, what's the matter? And he said, Uncle Danny, I don't know. I'm just mad all the time. Hmm. And I said, is anybody teasing you? He said, no. I said, is anybody hurting you? He said, no. He says, is anybody touching you in places they shouldn't be touching you? He said, no. He said, I don't know. Now, 999 psychiatrists out of 1,000 would have either medicated him, put him in psychotherapy, or family therapy. But that's not my mindset. My mindset is scan his brain. And if his brain is fine, then we'll think about those other things. But what we discovered was he was missing his left temporal lobe. And I'm like, it's the first time I'd seen that. On spec, he had no left temporal lobe. And my mentor was there. And he wrote down on a piece of paper so his mother wouldn't see, cyst, tumor, stroke. And so that day got an MRI. And he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space of his left temporal lobe. Like an arachnoid cyst or something. An arachnoid cyst. Yeah. And I called his pediatrician. I said, you find someone to take that out. And his pediatrician called me three days later, and he said, I talked to three neurologists, all of whom said they wouldn't touch the cyst, that they didn't think the cyst was related to his behavior. And that, and I'm furious. And, and they wouldn't touch it until he had real symptoms. So think about that for a second. Mm. I have a homicidal, suicidal child. And the neurologists don't think that's real. So it's like, when did neurology and psychiatry get divorced? You, you know, it's like, when did the brain not become the organ of behavior? Right. And so I called a friend of mine who was a pediatric neurologist at Harvard, and she told me the same thing. And the poor lady, I was screaming at her. I was so mad. And then I thought to myself, neurologists, neurologists, neurosurgeons, neurosurgeons do things. (laughs) That's right. So I called the pediatric neurosurgery department at UCLA and talked to Jorge Lazareff. And Dr. Lazareff is actually very famous. And um, although he's famous to me before he became famous. He's the neurosurgeon that separated the Guatemalan twins who are connected at the head. And, and I was telling uh, Dr. Lazareff about this, and he said, Dr. Amen, he said, when cysts are symptomatic, we drain them. I said, please do that with Andrew. And after the surgery, I got two calls. 
one from his mother. She's so excited. She said the surgery went so well. And she said, Danny, when he when Andy woke up from surgery, he smiled at me. She said he hadn't smiled for a year. Wow. And then the next call I got was from Dr. Lazareff, who said, Oh my God, Dr. Raymond, the cyst was so aggressive and had put so much pressure on his brain that it actually thinned the bone over his left temporal lobe. So his temporal bone, he said, was eggshell thin. And he said, if he would have been hit in the head with the basketball, it would have killed him instantly. Wow. Either wow. way, it would have been dead in six months. Hmm. And it was that moment where I didn't care if you didn't like me. That if you said bad things to me, that there are just too many people who are suffering, who need imaging. Because it's so arrogant to think you know what's going on in someone's brain unless you look. I mean, in your book, and your book was just so beautiful, Thank you. Um, which what caused me to reach out to you. I mean, you're, you're always talking about the CT scan, right? It's like, first thing, go get the scan. Because you can't tell from symptoms what's going on and so on. So why is this specialty? Should psychiatrists be handcuffed to not have imaging and rely solely on historical data and looking at people? That's right. It's 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 crazy. And so 1996 I give the state of the art lecture in medicine uh, to the Society of Developmental Pediatrics. It's really a highlight for me. And the next month, the medical board calls me because I upset somebody and they investigated me for a year. So it's wow. really, it was a painful year for me. But I decided I'm doing this or I'm not doing medicine or psychiatry at all. You, you knew and, at that point in your heart that you were right. Yeah, and there's actually a curse. So one of my friends sent me this curse. He said, I read this curse and I thought of you. It's a Romanian curse that says I curse you, that you know something that's true that no one else believes. Oh, wow. And, but a year later, Andy and I are in uh, Hawaii and we're on vacation together. Our family gets to go on vacation together. And after we were swimming, we went and got a drink together. And he's got these beautiful brown curls and these huge, beautiful deer, deer eyes. And we're a spiritual family. Hey, friend, are you searching for a podcast that partners faith and entrepreneurship? A toolkit of tactical how-tos to start or grow your online business God's way? Hop over and check out The Stephanie Gash Show a top 0.5% podcast for women who are ready to create impact and income without sacrificing family or their faith. Listen in to over 500 episodes on biblical business training, clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie Gass Show. I pray it blesses you. And... He looked at me with his eyes and he said, why did that happen to me? Oh, my God. I just felt so awful because I knew why it happened to him. It happened to him. So I wouldn't be afraid. Wow. And sometimes, you know, it's funny. I've been telling this story for 18 years. But it's one of the most important stories of my life. Because there are too many people like him that get labeled as bad. When they're not bad, they're sick. That's right. right. And imaging changes everything. And so I'm really excited about this in uh, 1999 I wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life and uh, it doubled our practice and we started seeing people from all over the world and it was such an exciting time still the haters if you will right. uh, 
in 2000, we opened our second clinic in Southern California, and I was on the faculty at UC Irvine. And so now I'm teaching residents about this. In, in 2005, I become a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. But the fight's not done. Most psychiatrists still today never look at what they do. Now, you know, the sincerest form of flattery is, is imitation. Right. And so right. there have actually been companies that open up and, you know, they provide imaging for psychiatric conditions. And I've trained most of them. And I'm excited uh, about this. But what we do is the future. And, you know, initially, it, the imaging surprised me because I thought, well, I'm imaging biological conditions, so that's going to lead me to more medicine with my patients. Well, in fact, it led me to less medicine because I realized that a lot of the medications I was prescribing were, in fact, toxic. Right. So when I was at Walter Reed, Xanax came onto the market. And so we used a lot of it. And as soon as I started scanning people on Xanax, I stopped using it because it makes your brain look like you're an alcoholic. Um, and so I got really interested in natural ways to optimize the brain. And then a colleague of mine at the University of Pittsburgh published a study that said as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down, which should just scare the fat off anyway. And so then I realized I really, I really needed to um, help people get physically healthy. So if I love my brain, if I have brain envy, then what I need to do is I need to feed it right. I need to feed it the right thoughts. I need to hang out with healthy people and I need to get my weight under control. And so one of the exciting things in my career is I got called uh, in 2010 by Pastor Rick Warren and uh, um, he, he heard me talk about the dinosaur syndrome. So I coined the dinosaur syndrome, big body, little brain. You're going to become extinct if you don't get healthy. Right. And he said, you know, I wasn't getting healthy for my heart because I didn't care. Um, to live longer, I don't care. I'm going to heaven. Uh, to be sexier, he said, I'm already sexy. Um, he said, but when I heard you say, as your weight goes up the size of your brain goes down, he said, now I care. Right. Uh, because I realize the health of my brain is my influence. And so... Um, Mark Hyman and I uh, put together a health plan for Saddleback Church called the Daniel Plan. The first week, 15,000 people signed up, and the first year they lost a quarter of a million pounds. Wow. So 250,000 pounds. If you think about it, the space shuttle is 240,000 pounds. Um, And we did it with five pillars. Faith, which is why do you care? Food. Nutrition matters. Do you know your brain uses 20, 25% of the calories you consume? And 60% of the solid weight of your brain is fat. So the low-fat diets are bad for your brain. So we really taught them how to eat for their brain, fitness, focus, which is about brain health, and friends. We get better together. I mean, the quality of the people you spend time with. Uh, really does matter. So the secret is find the healthiest people you can stand and then spend as much time around them as possible. And so so that has just been a wonderful way to get the message of brain health, if you will, to the world. Um, a couple of years before then, I knew the NFL was not telling the truth. Uh, or they were in what a kind way to say it is, they were in active denial that they had a problem. Because we'd scanned a number of NFL players. And in 2007, Anthony Davis came to our clinic. He's the Hall of Fame running back from USC. Uh, He's called the Notre Dame killer because in 1972, he scored six touchdowns against the University of Notre Dame. Um, They hated him so much on the Notre Dame campus, they put his pictures on the walkway. So they could walk on him. And in 1974, he scored four more touchdowns against them. Um, But at 54, his brain looked like he was 90 and bad for 90. And uh, he got so much better just on lifestyle interventions and nutritional supplements 
that he got me to speak to the L.A. chapter of the NFL Retired Players Association. And it was there I was just horrified by the level of depression and dementia. One player asked me the same question six times. And so I actually funded the first NFL study, functional imaging study on players. And we have scanned 140 players from 27 teams, all positions. And, you know, I think most thoughtful nine-year-olds would tell you that playing professional football is a brain-damaging sport. All you have to do is go, the brain is soft, about the consistency of soft butter. Your skull is really hard and has multiple sharp bony ridges. Your brain controls everything you do. It's not anchored. It floats in water. Um, So hitting it repeatedly, even with a helmet, do you think this is good for your brain or bad for your brain? I mean, Chloe, who's my 10-year-old daughter, when she was four, she'd go, oh, that's really bad for you, right? <laughs> um, so, the, so we found high levels of damage in almost all the players. Um, the only player that had a normal brain was a backup quarterback. So the best place to be on a football field is to hold that clipboard. That's the best place. Because it's not good to be a backup lineman because... The starters beat you up in practice. That's right. But what people didn't know and what my career really had set me up for is that you can rehabilitate brain trauma, that you are not stuck with the brain you have. We can make it better. And the images have proved it. You know, in my books, I always have before and after scans because if what I do works for you, I can actually see functional differences, you know, sometimes as short as two and a half hours later if I put you on medicine or supplements. And, um, and so we published a follow-up study on our NFL players saying 80% of our players showed improvement on lifestyle interventions and supplements. Wow. And now we're like little kids, so excited. Because, you know, all the news you hear about football players and concussions is bad news but it's not all bad news it's like stop lying i mean that was my problem with the nfl if you don't admit you have a problem you can't do anything to solve it that's right so um you know it's like the tobacco companies or um you know many insurance companies if you don't admit you have a problem or even if you're having marital problems and you're only blaming what your wife and you don't admit your problem. My first, the first book I wrote was um, called How to Get Out of Your Own Way. It's about self-defeating behaviors. And the number one self-defeating behavior is blaming other people for the problems you have. Um, so if you don't admit you have a problem, you can't do anything to solve it. So that was my problem with the NFL. It's like, you have a problem. And now if we can admit it, well, let's go to the next step and go, how do we solve it? Football's not going away. But let's admit together it's a brain-damaging sport so that players should always be rehabilitating themselves. And I'm so excited. Just yesterday, California passed a law that high schools can only have contact in practice twice a week. So there is no contact in the summer, none. And during the week, two times for 90 minutes, that's it. That's great. Will that decrease the amount of concussions? Absolutely will. And um, so there's been huge strides. You know, I thought initially when we started our NFL study, the NFL would put a contract out on me. And I am pleasantly shocked how quickly things have changed but we have to keep the pedal to the metal and tell parents you know your children's brains are not fully developed until they're 25 why would you ever let them hit a soccer ball with their head why would you ever let them ride a huge horse um And it's like, are you going to prevent kids from doing everything? Of course not. Exercise is critical. Track is awesome. But my favorite game, and I've advocated this for years, is table tennis. 
because there are no brain injuries in table right. tennis. Right. I played in the U.S. You know, I was in the Army. And, you know, in the Army, they have table tennis, have ping pong tables everywhere. Yeah. And when I was stationed in Germany, I would play sometimes five hours a night. Uh, and, you know, it's, gr- it's a great brain game because you got to get your eyes, hands, and feet all to work together while you think about the spin on the ball. And um, it was setting me up to learn about the cerebellum, which is a lot more important than most people think. So the cerebellum, it means little brain. It's 10% of the brain's volume, but it contains half of the brain's neurons. So one might think that's important. And what we discovered is that the cerebellum is highly involved in many psychiatric illnesses Mm. and that exercise, particularly coordination exercises, can be helpful for your thinking, not just for moving. And uh, there's been some great new research on the connections to the thinking cerebellum. There's a lot of... um psychiatric consequences to long-term alcohol use, which primarily hits the cerebellum functionally, right? That's related. Right, absolutely. Um, And so movement is critical. We all know exercise is important. Uh, You know, uh, the people who live the longest, the stronger you are as you age, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's disease. But please protect your head. And, and you've seen this over and over. Uh, um, that you know, with concussions comes depression and anxiety, insomnia, attentional problems. And this one interesting thing you might not have heard of called the Erlen syndrome. Um, you, your listeners should look it up, and you should look it up. It's i r l e n dot com. That people who have concussions, they become light sensitive, and then they get depth perception problems and they have trouble reading and focusing and wearing colored filtered lenses can make a dramatic difference for them to actually help their brain work better actually some of my hockey players you'll see um, them wearing masks that are tinted you know sometimes brown sometimes blue and it helps them see better and process information better and their headaches go away wow. it's really a fascinating so, you know, my whole career really, I, I feel like God sidetracked me. You know, I had it going one way. And all of a sudden the images came in and they changed everything for me. Even to the point if you date my daughter for more than four months, I have to scan you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> or Tana, you know, my wife, who I hope you get to meet when you're out here. Um, you know, I really liked her. And I'm like, two weeks after we met, I scanned her. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, would you mind coming over to the clinic and, you know, letting me have a look at your brain? And she's a neurosurgical ICU nurse. Right. So Tana right. trained at Loma Linda. And uh, she was fascinated by it. And she had a, a great brain so she could stay. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> So, you know, it's amazing to me, as, as widespread as your message has been, and, and others like you, in 2014, I'll probably see 30 or 35 people who have been in nursing homes with Alzheimer's diagnoses, advanced dementias, and have never had a CT scan of the brain. And somebody finally says, maybe we should scan this lady. Maybe it's not Alzheimer's, and she has normal pressure hydrocephalus. And we'll put a shunt in, and she'll walk out sometimes. It's amazing that nobody still is doing this. Right. And with SPECT and PAT, we can actually tell a decade before you have any symptoms whether or not you're headed in that direction. And some people go, well, I don't want to know. And it's like, no, you want to know. Because there are things you can do to get out of the way of the train. And even if you can't, you can prepare your family because it's not right that something is coming down the pike and you're not going to take care of your affairs. Now, I'm a big believer that there are many things we can do to slow it down. 
like getting your blood sugar under control, getting your blood pressure under control, getting your weight under control, um, using supplements in my NFL study. What we did is we used high-dose fish oil, uh, a brain supplement called Brain and Memory Power Boost that has seven things to optimize brain function, two for blood flow, two for acetylcholine, something to stabilize uh, blood sugar, uh, phosphatidylserine that helps with nerve cell membranes, and then a great multiple vitamin with high dose of B6, B12, and folic acid. It's, you know, all the things I've been learning about in the literature that optimize brain function. And that's what we put our NFL guys on. And 80% of them showed improvement in as little as two months. Wow. So if I know I'm headed that way, the smart person is going to go, I think I'm going to get off this track and get really serious about their health. But you know, the one thing, and, and I've been, you know, I, I like to make things really simple. So what's the one thing that really messes with people's health? It's they don't want to be deprived. That's right. And it's like, you, you got to change that thought because being sick deprives you of what you really want most. I mean, do you really want that mountain of fries and ice cream or do you really want clarity? That's right. And That's energy. Right. And aging gracefully. Well, and sexual function because, you know, it's all about blood flow, right? That's right. You know, so I, for a long time I said whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain and whatever's bad for your heart is bad for your brain because your brain gets, what, 20% of the blood flow in mm -hmm. your body. Um, and then I went, I wrote a book called The Brain in Love and I went, oh, whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain is good for your genitals That's because right. it's all about blood flow. And then I read another study that said 40% of 40-year-olds have erectile dysfunction. And I went, that means 40% of 40-year-olds have brain dysfunction. We need, you know, I mean, use whatever motivates you, right? And so if you really like making love to your wife, use it. Because if you don't get your health under control, that's going to go away or you're going to be relying on Cialis or Levitra or Viagra. Wow. You know, I could talk to you all day, and I hope to have you back on the show in the future when I can ask you some questions and go down some of these alleys. But a couple of things you said today that I want to make sure we come back to. Number one is when you realized that you were right about imaging changing the way you could treat and make people better, you had a decision to make that might not have been the best one for you professionally or for your reputation or, or socially, and you followed your heart, right? How important is that for people when you know something's true to pursue it in their lives? Well, I think it's the only way you can be authentic. And to, to do anything else, I would have denied what I'd seen. You know, it's funny because, you know, I still get a fair amount of criticism. But virtually everywhere I go, people come up to me and go, your work has changed my life. And so would I trade that? Of course I would. You know, I mean, I would have just traded it for Andrew. Right. Because now he's 27 and he's employed and he owns his own home and he has a Imagine what happened to him. Have the nerve to do what I believed. That he would have been dead. Or he would have been in jail. Wow. And I'm not okay with that. No. So I, I feel incredibly blessed to be able to have been in the fight. That's beautiful. And I, th I thank you so much for all of your work. And it's impacted my life. And, you know, I wish I'd known about it earlier in my life and my career. Um, but, but I, I, I would like for you to leave us today with, you know, most of the people that are listening here are, they're in some place in their life that they're dealing with something they don't know how to change. That's, that's why they're listening to me and you talk. They're stuck in some place. It may be weight, it may be a bad relationship or something, but they're stuck somewhere. How do you tell them to get going? What, what's your message for these people to help them change their life starting today? Well, for for me, it's it's uh, the title of my book: Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. That it all it starts with you. 
that if you're in a bad relationship, the first thing to go is, well, how can I be better? Um, and people go, oh, but it takes two. And it's like, no, how can you be better? I've seen it take one a lot uh, of the time. And, and brain health is really three things. I mean, I horrified myself when I figured this out. Um, it's, it's really three words, care. So your brain controls everything you do. Start treating it with respect and love. So care, stop doing anything that hurts it, drugs, alcohol, risky behavior. But some things people never even thought of, like being overweight or uh, eating a high inflammatory diet filled with processed foods and sugar and foods that quickly turn to sugar. Um, not sleeping, um, not knowing the health of your brain. So care, stop, and then do. Do the right things. Exercise, brain healthy nutrition, not believing every stupid thought you have. So it's disciplining your mind um and if you just think of care stop do it'll make a radical difference in everything you do so i'll leave you with a game that i play with my daughter and since chloe was two uh, chloe and i've played what we call chloe's game is this good for my brain or bad for it so if i say avocado she'll say two thumbs up god's butter if i say blueberries She'll put her hands on her hips and she'll go, are they organic? Because non-organic blueberries hold more pesticides than almost any fruit. If I say, hitting a soccer ball with your head, she'll go, oh, two thumbs down. Are you crazy? Brain is soft. Skull is hard. Don't you know brain has sharp ridges? Um, that's just what I want people to do is ask themselves, is this good for my brain or bad for it? Wow. Beautiful message uh, from a very uh, interesting and accomplished man. You've changed millions of lives, Dr. Amen, and including mine. And um, also, by the way, folks, he's incredibly kind. He, he he reaches out when he has something to say to people. And just, Dr. Amen, thank you so much for who you are, what you've done, and for being with us today. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Lee. What a powerful interview. Dr. Amen is so inspiring to me. I just think I just think listening to him, I get more fired up about being healthier and, and understanding how my brain works. And I'm a brain surgeon, so for me to get fired up about the brain even more than I already am, uh, it takes something special. And Dr. Amon certainly is something remarkable. Um, I just am so grateful, Dr. Amon, for your time here today on the show. And let me just sum all this up by saying to you, the listener, my friend, that whatever area of your life you need to change, whether it's your brain health or your physical health or your body or your weight or your marriage or your business, whatever it is, you have it in you to change it. You are not stuck with your past. You're not stuck with the failures of your past. You're not stuck with the limitations of your past. You can change everything in your life if you're willing to do the work starting today. Even your brain chemistry can be improved. You are not stuck. You have opportunities to accomplish real life change, but guess what? You have to start today. You can do it. I promise you can, and that's why we're here. Real life change requires commitment. We're going to go over this again. Real life change requires you to understand what has to happen and why. I call that purpose you got to understand what the purpose is behind what you're trying to do. Simon Sinek calls it start with your why. You've got to know why you're doing what you're doing. That's what Steve Siskin said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Understand why you want to change something that will help you to change it. It also demands for you to clearly articulate what the steps are that will take you to get there. Nobody just wanders into successful life change. You've got to plan it out. So you have to have your purpose understood, your why, and you've got to have your plan, the steps that require you to get there, you, the steps that are required of you to get there. And if you really want to succeed, you've got to be in it if you want to win it. That's called presence. You've got to be 100% engaged and present in your life. We've been talking about weight loss and nutrition. Today we're talking about brain health. A few weeks ago when we started this, unbelievably 21 weeks ago when we started the podcast, we started by talking about the mind and how you get your mind together with understanding that brain surgerization concept that I have of, of changing things about the way you think, and that produces changes in your brain chemistry, which then produce changes in your behavior, which then produce changes in the way your life plays out. And that's Dr. Raymond's message. So we've kind of come full circle. 
And I want you to understand that we can change the world. We can change our world. But we have to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is listener supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. That's patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron only episodes, and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery. DrLeeWarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them. TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.